What community sounds like. Stay open. Hey guys, this is Chris from Tap the Craft. I want to tell you about a new partner that we have for the show. B-Cups. B-Cups is the world's first line of style-specific beer cups for people on the go. Whether by the beach, pool, hiking, or on the boat, B-Cups are great for any place you can't use glassware. They're dishwasher-safe, lightweight, BPA-free, recyclable, and so clear that they often get mistaken for glass. They come as four packs on Amazon.com, but two packs and variety packs are available on their website at bcups.net. That's B-C-U-P-S dot net. Go check it out. craft beer friends and welcome to season six episode nine of tap the craft podcast i am denny loose coming to you from boise idaho and my partner in craft the wells bro from tampa florida mr chris mckenzie how are you doing tonight chris and what is in your glass i'm doing pretty damn amazing tonight denny and in my glass tonight i have a berliner from seventh sun here in florida I'm drinking their sakura obscura oh yeah i've had that one and Which i like that I one am which is almost gone. Which uh, <laughs> I might have to go get another one. Okay. More, sooner than later. Okay. Um, but what about you? How's your day going? Uh, it's going well. It's going well. I, I, I didn't have a day off. Uh, you know, it is Veterans Day today, but so many companies in this day and age don't observe Veterans Day as a as a holiday, which is which is quite sad, I think. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, I had to work. But my company did buy me a lunch, and actually. You know, we're recording a little bit early, and uh, I, you know, I took off work a little bit early, and I, I thought I figured I'd have to, you know, eat some dinner before we record. I bypassed dinner because I'm still full from lunch. <laughs> My buddy Dan in Michigan uh, posted on Facebook that he had had his uh, his sixth free meal today. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he's really milking it for everything he can get, huh? Well, he and his wife are are both uh, veterans, so he's uh. I think he's taking advantage, which, you know what, good for him. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's amazing how many places nowadays are actually offering some kind of a either free meal or discounted meal, uh, which is nice. It's nice to do that. I don't, I don't actually go and, and search out those things. I just uh, appreciate it when uh, – I, I really like it when, when you go and visit a, a, a place of business and they actually go and donate, you know, a portion of your bill or whatever to – uh, you know, to a uh, a veterans charity. I I think I like I like that a little bit better. It makes me feel like I'm helping the veterans that are that may may not have made it out uh, as you know as well as I did. You know, there's there's a lot of veterans that uh, that are you know suffering from post traumatic stress syndrome and, and and not to mention physical injuries that that you know have a tough time dealing. You know, way more than me. I I I, I definitely got lucky. I just served. And I'm grateful that I that I'm glad I served and was able to to help my country. Uh, but I'm just I'm also grateful that I was able to to exit my service without any major difficulties. I mean, I do have a few issues that related from it, but nothing compared to what a lot of these these young men and women are are coming back with. So uh, I'd rather uh, businesses just give give money to some of these these uh, different programs to help veterans out. 
Yeah, it is nice. But I'm uh, I'm drinking uh, a beer that I think you'll be surprised to hear me drinking uh, because I've I've mentioned many times on the show that I'm not a big fan of this style. But lately, I have been partaking in quite a few, and now I think I am a fan of this style. It's the milk stout style. I think last episode you were gone, Chris. Uh, I mentioned the to Matt Helmer who who was on that that I've been drinking a few milk stouts and I'm finding that this style I'm appreciating it because it's not coming across too sweet. A lot of times early in my milk stout experience, those milk stouts just were way too sweet and just left a, a bad flavor, you know, bad feeling in my mouth and I just didn't like it. And uh, now uh, I have to say that these milk stouts are are, are really uh, utilizing that lacto sugar just enough to give you that creaminess and give you that uh, little bit of a edge cut off of the the roastiness and bitterness, but not too much where I can still enjoy some of those chocolate and roasty notes, but just uh, you know a little bit smoother. And this one is from Widmere Brothers out of Portland, Oregon, and it's their Snowplow Milk Stout. And uh, you know Sarah picked up. Uh, a couple of these for me last week, and I, I enjoyed it, so I went ahead and picked them in a six-pack. So now I'm going to drink a, a couple of these tonight. I already had some some uh, dank, fresh hop uh, IPAs, hazy IPAs, and now I'm going to go ahead and drink some milk stouts to soothe my stomach, right? A little milk with my with my uh, hoppy beers. Uh, what do you think? Are you uh, Is it milk stout season for you in, in Florida? I, I'm, I actually like milk stouts. Uh, that was actually one of the first type of beers that Got me into craft beer was that left hand milk stout mm -hmm. on nitro from uh well, from left hand yeah from left hand <laughs> <laughs> imagine that yeah um and I've always appreciated those those were easier to drink in the beginning of my craft beer journey and um, outside of like angry chairs milk stouts and cigar cities milk stouts they tend to be a little too sweet mm -hmm. so uh, I do like the style. But uh, locally, I think they go a little above and beyond for some of those. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I don't have. I mean, we don't get a lot of those, uh, those pastry type stouts. Those, those, uh, uh, those super amped up, uh, you know, sweet, sweet stouts. But mm -hmm. when when I've had them, that you, when you've brought them, I, uh, I can't appreciate what they what they do. But you know what? There's no way I'm going to be able to drink a whole you know, 750 milliliter bottle nope. of those by myself, right? Those are things you have to share. And yeah, I, uh, I mean, I can appreciate small doses of it. I don't want to sit down and drink a couple bottles for sure. Not going to work. All right. Yeah. Well, hey, are you ready to get this show started? As ready as I'll ever be. All right, let's do this thing. So uh, in case we have anyone new listening to the show, Tap the Craft Podcast is an educational podcast. We focus around celebrating all things craft beer because we want to help you the listener along in your craft beer journey and you're listening to episode 139 and we're recording a little bit earlier than normal uh, because uh, we want to make sure that I can get Chris on the show he's got a busy schedule and he, you know he needed to you know make make some changes so we can get you know make sure we we get every show out so we're recording on Veterans Day November 11th 2019 in this episode we will discuss the history of beer part 2 now, this is going to lead us from where we left off in the last episode at 1600 A.D., and we're going to carry us, carry us forward about 250 years to 1850 A.D. So we still, you know, a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a, 
a gap there. We're going to fill in the, the, the details, and then we'll save the, the last part of this beer history for our next episode. So you got a lot of beer history we're going to be talking about this month. And, of course, we still have that article that we've been trying to talk about over the last three or four shows. I think we're going to have time to get to it today, Chris, unless you have so much beer activity talk to talk about that we just can't do it. But if we don't, you know what? We'll just pass it on to the next show. It's okay. But a nice little article about uh, the different kind of people that you can find when you go tour a brewery. Uh, I thought it was pretty fun. And, of course, you can count on Chris and I having some great conversation along the way. And let's go ahead and start off that conversation, Chris. You know, last week you were you were unable to, to make the show. Uh, so we had Mr. Matt Helmer, you know, jumped in, volunteered his time uh, to record with me. And because of that... Uh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't do what people were drinking. I hope people aren't upset that I didn't uh, go over the untap. But Chris, you are back, and are you prepared to talk about what our listeners are drinking? I am absolutely prepared. All right, let's do it. All right. So starting off with Mr. Craft Beer Joe, he's drinking a bourbon barrel aged Wee Heavy by Westside Brewing. Hmm. Uh, that was about 21 hours ago, and he gave that one four and a half caps on that beer. Uh, moving on up. To no, that was one of my old check-ins. It was late, <laughs> so I drank a bunch of beer okay. yesterday and the day before, and completely forgot until today. I was like, "Oh, I didn't check those in." Oh, okay. uh, Mark Church is drinking a Mandarin Golden by Columbus Brewing Company at the Trout Club. Oh, um, I hope that's a fancy place, Mark. Yeah, it sounds fancy. I always wanted to go to the Trout Club. Anyway, <laughs> he writes, nice Mandarin flavor, very easy drinker, and gave that one three and three quarters caps. Uh, Daniel Crowder. So he's, I think he's a new a new addition to our what our listeners are drinking. I know Daniel from, uh, from Ohio. He actually uh, attended the boarding school where I used to work. Oh, wow. <laughs> so he's, he's gotten an he's untapped and looked, looked me up. I, I don't know, he's probably about 23 now. This was a while ago. Okay, okay. Um, <clears throat> he's drinking the Maze Inn Corn Stout by Turkey Hill Brewing Company at Turkey Hill Brewing Company. So he's doing a little bit of uh, beer traveling. Um, and he didn't leave any notes on that, but it was three and a half caps for that beer. I'm kind of curious to know what a Maze is in course corn stout is so according to untapped it's flaked corn sweet balanced with roasted and chocolate malts smooth and creamy drinkability hmm. yeah i i, I hmm. don't believe i've ever had a corn stout not that i actually knew i was having one so it sounds interesting right. <laughs> uh, moving up to jc he's drinking a special brownies by sycamore brewing uh, and he's drinking that on his patio where he likes to drink his beer. Uh, <laughs> three three and three quarters caps on that one. No notes there. Wait, wait what's so special about this special brownie? Is special it like a brownies. hemp? Is it a hemp uh, brownie beer? Um, I would doubt it. Oh, okay. But, <laughs> but <laughs> spe- yeah, speaking of hemp and that type of additions to beer, I had, um, while I was in Atlanta, I had... Sweetwater's Mango Kush mm-hmm. Wheat Ale. And uh, they poured that off the tap and gave it to me and put it down at the table. 
and three of my friends just went, hey, you, you smell that? And I was like, no, it's my beer. And they're like, no, seriously, do you smell that? And I'm like, seriously, smell my beer. And it was it was like sticking your face, allegedly, so I would imagine, yeah, sticking yeah. your face into a bag of... Yeah, of bud. Of, of bud yeah. and uh, taking a big old whiff of it. It was <laughs> it was pretty dank. Uh, it was it was very off. It was kind of off putting initially. I was like, that's that's pretty strong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's kind of like that Hemper, right, from New Belgium. That beer yeah. was freaking strong hemp, like, you know, marijuana smell and stuff. But yeah, I mean, so I'm sure yours was probably pretty heavy, too. Yeah, it was pretty heavy on the weed smell. Yeah. Um, no, nothing. Uh, Noting of what's so special about this. So okay. Looking at a couple of pictures. Um, just says special brownies, chocolate stout. So yeah. guess we'll never know. Yeah. Jay, how, how special is it? Yeah, uh, let us know. Leave a voicemail. Yeah, three and three quarters <laughs> caps. He gave us, uh, gave the rating on that one. Yeah. Um, Allison is drinking a Citra Dank Juice by Odd Side, a- Odd Side Ales. Uh-huh. Uh, she gave that one four caps. No notes on that one. On to the next one. Denny, you're drinking head full of fresh hops. I did. I had that earlier. Yeah. Nice Man, picture, and, too. And talk about dank. This one was super dank and yeah. sticky, both. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a mouthful of dank, sticky uh, New England IPA, but it was okay. good. I enjoyed it. Got that at the co-op, co-op did you? I did. Yeah, all, right. with all the weed smoking's going on over here. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Matt Knight is drinking a Sixlets and Soldiers by Warhouse Brewing Company. Uh, and he writes, chocolatey but not too sweet. Fantastic milk stout and album pairing. So, there we go, milk stouts. Uh, album pairing, it, it recommends uh, Neil Young and the al- album Harvest. Okay. All right. He gave that one four and a quarter's caps for that Sixlets and Soldiers. Um, Mark oh, Church again. Oh, huh. Sixlets and Soldiers. I, uh, I've heard, I, I commented on that beer from someone else drinking it. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wait, 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 that was Matt Knight, you said? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Matt Knight was drinking that before. So he, he likes to check into things multiple times. So that's why uh, I heard that. Yeah, I think I okay. commented on a previous check-in that he did, and that sounds like a, a beer that I would – it's like it's like the, the Sixlets uh, candy, those little uh, sugar-coated uh, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. malted candy things. Uh, they made it like to taste like that. So, uh, okay, cool. Now it's all coming together. My mind is a little fuzzy. Yeah, Matt's mm. drinking it there. Well, that's the only check-in I have of friends of mine drinking that. But uh, anyway, um, Mark Church again is drinking a Rolling Fog by Trek Brewing Company. All right. And that's he writes, nice, new one. nice, yeah, nice tropical flavor, five cap rating. Yeah, that was just released today, I think. Was that today oh, he drank that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was about an hour ago. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, John released two new beers today. One was a robust porter and one was that uh, new... England Hazy IPA, so good on him. Well, I got a five-cap rating from Mark. Uh, Chad Lamasa, ooh, you're drinking a beer I really like. Uh, Brown Sugar, Brown Cow by D9 Brewing Company out of North Carolina. Hmm. Uh, He gave it on four and a half caps for that one. He just writes, coffee, cream, vanilla, and brown sugar. Wow, that's sweet. I would agree. (laughs) Uh, It's actually not too bad. I like like that one a lot. Um, I do believe... Mark is checking out another beer from Trek called a wish called Wishing Star by Trek Brewing Company, and he writes one of my favorites from Trek. 
uh, rate, rated that one five caps as well. Two five cap ratings in one day from wow, Trek Beer so is this, killing it. This was that porter. Yeah. So for, well, no, that wasn't the new beer unless John has brewed it before because the first check in was March first of this year. Okay, he yeah he may have just uh, brought it back out again on a second release. Now, hey, this is my time to go ahead and plug for the loose cannon, John. Get off your butt. Wrote, you know, brew up a small batch of the loose cannon for all your peeps out there who are dying to have it. It's a great beer. Don't, you know, stop dragging your feet. Go out there and, you know, brew an award-winning beer. Okay, that's all. And and I'll second that. Because <laughs> I, I was fortunate enough to try it. So it was, uh, <laughs> and when it was still fresh, I think yeah, three, yeah. three years ago or yeah, so. Yeah, it's, yeah, you had it when it was still fresh. Still uh, in its prime. Uh, yep. I, I've got one bottle left. I'm going to drink it here in the holidays, just as probably Thanksgiving. Maybe Thanksgiving Day, I'll crack that open and drink my last, my last one. And it's all gone forever. There's not a single drop left after this. And I'm going to actually kind of go back in time a little bit because I, I have reached the end of my list. Oh. And there, there is a couple that I wanted to touch on. First off, from William Schlemmer. And by the way, Every single beer he's checked into almost, he's tagged me. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess I get what I ask for. <laughs> so cheers to you, Will. Uh, he's checking out and drinking a Big Bad Baptist by oh, Epic yeah. Brewing Company, That's which is such a good beer. Yeah. Uh, and he writes, one of the best Imperial Stouts I have tasted. It's so smooth. And he gave that four and a half caps for that rating. Um he also was drinking the Chocolate Macaroon Imperial Stout by Untitled Art. Oh. Uh, they, they must have some good stuff at the uh, Residence Inn by Marriott. Yeah. Green Bay. <laughs> uh, he's, he says he's watching Green Bay win with a... Uh, I'm not sure what that is, but... It, excellent. With this, oh, excellent Imperial Stout. It made sense as soon as I said I don't yeah. know what it is. <laughs> uh, but gave that one uh, four and a half caps for that. And Untitled Art puts out some pretty awesome yeah. uh, stouts. Yeah. Actually, most of their beers I've ever had from them were pretty awesome. Uh, Jeff Seiler is drinking the Lambda Lambda Lambda, or Tri Lambs for all you Revenge of the Nerd fans, <laughs> um, by Melvin Brewing. He said, yeah, it's really boozy. It is. Yeah, it's really sweet. Yes, yeah, it is. <laughs> I really like it. Excellent stuff, Melvin. <laughs> Four and th- four and a half caps for yeah, that one. Yeah, that's a, I, that's a hard, that's a strong beer. I I've had it a few times, and it it's definitely one you got to be prepared for. <laughs> oh, it's a triple IPA. Okay, <laughs> it's a triple IPA that that thinks it's thirteen percent uh, too. I mean, it's called a triple IPA, but it's really like a like a like a five times IPA. Man, this thing is like big, big mm. and boozy, and sweet. So it's everything you said. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> All right. So, oh, you drank a beer called Bad Santa. Yeah, I like Bad Santa. It's a black IPA, Cascadian Dark Ale. Bring back mm-hmm. the style. I'm making a stand. I want breweries to brew more black IPA. Bring it back. And that's, that's exactly what you said in your four-cap <laughs> rating. Love this style. Just promoting it so more breweries will bring it back. Bl- yeah. Cheers to black IPAs and winter beers. Yes. Um, so going further back, nothing really special standing out. So chew your beer. Oh. Drinking an In the Pit by Pizza Port Brewing Company. Gave that one four and three quarters caps. God, we're so close to that five cap rating on that one. He writes, bittersweet, dank, and piney, sippable and crushable. <laughs> what? Wow, that's a lot of of uh, conflicting uh, descriptors I, yeah. there. 
<laughs> but you know what? I mean, sippable and crushable. I mean, if you try hard enough, I guess anything could be that. <laughs> oh wow, he must have been uh, he must have been feeling pretty good when he wrote that review. Yeah, <laughs> uh, with within the pit, that's only seven and a half percent. Nothing too crazy. Okay. Um, but Denny, that's what everybody's drinking. Oh wow, awesome! Yeah, I'm glad people are drinking some great beers out there. Thanks for. Uh, yeah, thanks for sharing that, Chris, and letting us know. And now I'm I'm thirsty. I need to be drinking some some more of these great beers. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you know, Chris, I know you've been having fun. But before you get into your fun, I just want to take a minute because I don't have any beer related activities. But because it is Veterans Day, I thought maybe I would just share just a, a one minute synopsis of my uh, my time in service. You know what I did because I always say that former servicemen. I I may have mentioned. Uh, in passing short, you know, shortly about what I did in the Navy. But hey, you know what? I figured it's Veterans Day recording on Veterans Day as a veteran. I'll just talk a little bit, you know, briefly about, about what I did in the service. So I joined the, the U.S. Navy in 1988 and I went off to boot camp in Orlando, Florida. And then uh, I graduated boot camp. I went up to uh, Connecticut where I served in the basic enlisted submarine school, uh, eight weeks of training to learn how to be a submariner. Uh, after that, I went to Virginia Beach, Virginia, and I was there for I don't know how many months, uh, learning uh, how to be, you know, how to learning my basic electronics. Uh, f- it was called strategic weapons electronics warfare training. Yeah, some something fancy like that. So I was doing that for several months, and then I I transferred from there all the way over to the West Coast uh, to to Washington State, where I was stationed up by Bremerton, Washington, and Silverdale, Washington, at the sub-base banger there. I went to another school where I learned how to become uh, my, what my rating was, which is a missile tech, uh, where we took care of the, I, I was, uh, my rating uh, of being a missile tech was I was in charge of all the systems that were uh, required to launch a nuclear missile. So yes, I was on nuclear missile submarines, and I was in charge of taking care of all those bad boy missiles that we might have on the submarine. Uh, I then was uh, finished at school about a year after I joined the Navy, I finished my schooling and then I got attached to the USS Georgia. I was on the gold crew. And if anyone's familiar, you've probably seen some, some movies out there. Some of them are good, some of them are bad, but if you want to, uh, I wouldn't watch Crimson Tide or I think that was what the name of that. that was a horrible movie, but, uh, but basically uh, missile submarines have two crews because we're always out patrolling pretty much, you know, 10 months of the year, we're out there patrolling the seas in case that, uh, you know, something happens where we need to uh, to retaliate or, you know, to uh, protect our, our borders. And uh, so I was on the gold crew and we go out for three months. We come back in for three months. The other crew takes the ship and goes out for three months and then they come back. So I basically was out to sea six months of the year for the four four years I was on board the USS Georgia. And after that, I decided to re-enlist uh, because I wanted to get some schooling. So I re-enlisted and I uh, went to uh, training. I trained at the Trident Training Facility, uh, advanced electronics classes for missile techs. And uh, I did that for three years. And at the end of my at that time, that's eight Eight years, three months, and ten days to be exact. I served in the U.S. military before I decided to get out. Uh, you know, being away from my family, like I said, for half of the time I'm, you know, I'm attached to a ship. 
Uh, I mean, I literally back then in the in the 90s, uh, there was no email, there was no cell phones, there was no communication at all. So when I was out to sea for six months of the year, I didn't have any contact with with Sarah or my or my son at the time, uh, and it really wears on on family life. So I went to shore duty. Uh, the, during that time, my daughter was born, and then when it came time to re-enlist to go back out to sea, I decided that it was time to call my career an end. Uh, and I just, you know, I felt that that I didn't want to miss out on my children's. I want to be a part of my children's lives and not just uh, be, you know, kind of a military uh, father. So I decided to get out and and join into the civilian life uh, after eight years of service. So, in a nutshell, that is my my military. Uh, history. You got any questions, Chris? No, no questions. Okay. All right. So now, now we're done with that. Uh, and I am, uh, you know, you'll, you know, you always hear me talk about uh, the respect that I have for the military uh, men and women out there. And that comes not only from my service, but just knowing that, uh, you know, that what the sacrifices that, uh, that it takes to give up your family, you know, you know, do, you got to give up a lot of a lot of things to go out there and, and do the job you have to do. And uh, that takes a lot of courage and, uh, and, and strength. So uh, that's why I always just want to raise my glass to all those servicemen and women out there. So, all right, Chris. So now uh, you were not able to record with us last time because you were going out on some kind of a, uh, of a shindig or, or a boondoggle or some, what were you going out drinking beer and Actually, partying? Actually, it was, it was more of a hoot nanny. <laughs> hoot nanny? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, so what, uh, were you, what were you doing? So, let's see, three, three weeks ago, we were in Atlanta, we were in Georgia camping. Mm-hmm. Last week, we were back in Georgia, um, not, uh, only about 35 miles north of where we were camping, so it was kind of familiar territory, but anyway, we were, uh, getting recertified as trainers, um, in our yearly Southeast regional get together with the, with the dog training company that Megan and I own. Okay. Um, so go out there and we get to spend some time with, um, some people that we really only see once, maybe twice a year and, uh, learn a lot of new things, but, uh, that's the dog training side of it. But we did have the chance, um, on Friday before our flight left because we got done all of our training stuff on our very last day. We were done at about noon and we were free to go. And our flight didn't leave till 7.55 that night. So we went and drove in a little closer to Atlanta, went over to the area of town called West End and visited a couple of breweries. Uh, the first one that we visited was called Monday Night Brewing. Okay. And uh, earlier in the week, I actually had a beer from Monday Night Brewing and thought it was pretty tasty. So I was happy <laughs> to... Uh, be able to go visit the source or at least a satellite building of the source. Uh, in the West End area, it looks like it's all old um, warehouse and factories that have been gutted and revamped into this new swanky, you know, uh, nice area that have these big open space uh, stores and markets and restaurants. <clears throat> and uh, this this place was pretty huge. Uh, it was I'd have to be willing to bet it was at least eight to 10,000 square feet just inside of this building. Wow. And, uh, you know, really just a big wide open space that had some really eclectic furniture in there. So it looked like they maybe got furniture from 
you know, maybe somebody's grandma was getting rid of some furniture. <laughs> and <laughs> but uh, yeah, we just it was a nice place to just go in and hang out. When you walked in the building, there were uh, like three levels. Like you walked up some stairs, and they had like these um, different levels that you could walk up. And on each level, there were chairs and a fire pit and cornhole mm. and you know, inside like, cornhole. Uh, no, not inside. This oh. was this was outside because oh, okay. you're approaching the building. Okay, but the pe- people had a fire pit going and just sitting outside enjoying some beer and just sitting around the fire. It was I don't know one thirty in the afternoon, just on a Friday enjoying a fire. Um, <laughs> and, and we walked inside. There was uh, you know a shuffleboard table when you first walk in, and again so a lot of open seating and big uh, open areas with tables that are old uh, wire spools and um, one of the things and I think I posted this on our Facebook page was this uh, this art that they had on the wall as soon as you walked in it was uh, like cast looking animal heads that were all painted white but there were you know deer and moose and rhinoceros and tyrannosaurus rex and great white <laughs> shark heads and it was really cool looking um and then they had a big giant tyrannosaurus skeleton hanging from the ceiling and um all that being said really cool place to go visit um and we got to try a couple of the beers while we were there and it was really just a nice place to sit and wait until we had to go to the airport fortunately there were not only that brewery but in the same kind of complex, there was another brewery uh, called Wild Heaven Brewing. And I didn't realize it, but I had actually had beer from this brewery before because oh. they, they brew a beer called Emergency Drinking Beer. <laughs> it's a, it's a That's basic what I need. Looking, yeah, <laughs> a basic looking yellow can with black, black letters on it. Um, and I actually, the first hurricane that I ever went through down here, we actually had a six pack of that in our fridge. Uh, and I was like, well, I guess I guess we're appropriate, uh, appropriately prepared for the uh, for the hurricane now that we have emergency drinking beer yeah. in place. Yeah. And um, yeah, that was a nice place too. we were able to sit down and uh, enjoy some food and just kind of relax. And again, we're just waiting for time to pass so we can go drop our rental car off and uh, go get on the airplane and head back to Florida. But uh one of the big reasons, I don't know if anybody saw the post that I put on to our Facebook page. Hey, where do you live? Because mm-hmm. as I checked in on the Tap the Craft Facebook page at Monday Night Brewing, Mike Allen reached out to me and said, hey, curious to hear your thoughts on this place. He said, we just moved to the Atlanta area. And while I haven't made it there yet, it's been highly recommended to me. Uh, and I told him, yeah, I, I've been really enjoying it so far. Um, so the reason that I put in there, hey, where does everybody live? It's because I didn't know Mike lived in Atlanta. I would have seen if we could have grabbed a beer. So uh, so he must have just moved there because he lived in Reno, Nevada. Oh. Yeah. So it's I mean, I had no idea he moved. He didn't I mean he didn't make any comment to us until that until that post. And I saw the post too, and I was like, Wow, I didn't know Mike moved out to Atlanta. I guess he drank all the beer on the West Coast. He has to go drink all the mm-hmm. beer on the East Coast now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. Um we uh i know we have a little bit of traveling coming up well next week we're staying pretty local but we're going out of town again but uh not for work or anything like that which is nice yeah are you going to stay in town uh, for thanksgiving you're going to travel up to ohio 
No, we'll be we'll be in town for Thanksgiving. Okay. Oh yeah, he left. Uh, he left his um, Mike. I'm I'm Facebook stalking you right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he. It looks like he left his job in Reno in June. Wow, it's been yeah. it's been four months, and we're just now learning that he. Uh, you know, I I guess I guess I need to spend more time on Facebook. I would have known that. Well, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, I can't wait to hear about Mike's adventures in Atlanta and uh, South Carolina, North Carolina and Florida, because now he can just drive to all these places. Yeah. And in his defense, we were on the west side of Atlanta uh, and he lives kind of northeast, uh, which looks to be maybe a little bit of a hike. Yeah. To where he is, too. So either way, I I always like to uh, see if we can meet up with listeners and grab a beer if, if I'm in the area or they are in the area here. Uh, always like to do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, if we would have, if you would have known that he was, I mean, you basically found out that he was in the area the last day before you're leaving, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So if you'd have known early on, uh, you guys might've been able to arrange something for an evening, right? Where you guys could meet up at a, at some place and chat. Yeah. Not until Friday, but still, I mean, we were, you were, we were busy there. all week long, even at night? I was. Yeah. What? <laughs> well, <laughs> That's some so serious we, training. It is. Well, we go through, <laughs> uh, we started at 8 a.m. We were done at 5 p.m. Um, and that was pretty much what we did all day. We worked with dogs. Um, and after that, we would go out, grab dinner, and, which normally turned into um, going to dinner and then going out and staying up obscenely late. <laughs> drinking way too much yeah you, you didn't talk about all that beer drinking that, that wasn't beer I want, i'm proud of <laughs> oh okay okay you know what you need to have these people listen to tap the craft so they can drink some good beer but oddly enough the where i drank that first beer from monday night brewing which is in my new and noteworthy beer mm-hmm. i was actually at hooters well, yeah, I saw you checked in the Hooters. I'm like, what the hell is Chris doing at Hooters? Well, so fun story about that. We were in a town called Douglasville, Georgia, and we, uh, a couple of the other, uh, a couple other people were looking for a place where we could all go to just go grab dinner and a beer or something. And somebody looked up on their phone and said, hey, let's go to this place. It's called Tops, Tops Bar and Grill. <laughs> okay. Okay, so we all drove over there, looked at the front of it, and went, this place looks kind of sketchy. There's a ton of motorcycles and and beat-up pickup trucks, and it was in this, like, rundown kind of shopping center, and I was like, I don't know, guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, whatever, let's just go in. You ever been to a place where you walk in, and it's almost like the record scratches and stops? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that was pretty much much how we all felt. Uh, Walked in, and and, uh, it was kind of... I don't think we're gonna eat here. <laughs> did you did you order a beer or anything, or just walk no. walk in, no, turn we, around, and walk back out? Well, everything that was like all the tables and stuff that were up front. I think there were seven of us walking in, and all the tables that were up front were for four or less people. So we had to walk all the way to the back of this place, um, and also realized that when you walked in there. Uh, I didn't realize this until we were all the way in the back of the restaurant that it was a smoking establishment. Oh, too. yeah. So I uh, I promptly stepped up and said, hey, guys, I, I, I'd i like to go somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. So we had to make the walk of shame all the way from the back 
<laughs> All these guys are looking at you like, yeah, you guys aren't yep. worthy. Yeah, I, I don't want to be worthy of that. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so we decided to uh, step up our game a little bit and go to Hooter. Hooter. <laughs> <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Well, now now it all makes sense. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we we did. I know there was a couple. There was one restaurant that we actually went to twice called Gumbo's, which was a a really good like Cajun restaurant mm-hmm. that uh, we you know, like I said we went to twice and uh, really enjoyed that place. Had um just some. I think just a couple of Abita beers there. I don't remember getting anything super special there, but uh, yeah, it was good. No, yeah. good place. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad you got to to visit some uh, local <laughs> local venues in Atlanta <laughs> hey, <laughs> and some makes breweries. A damn, makes a damn good story too. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. All right. Well, let me talk about. Uh, I only have one uh, noteworthy beer to talk about this week, and I'll let you talk about some of the you know noteworthy beers you have. But uh, I did I did make it to the co-op and bought a bunch of different beers. Uh, the sad thing is that none of them were really, uh, you know, all that special. They were okay. Some were misses, uh, but none of them were were really worth uh, mentioning except for one of the beers that I had. And that is the one I'm going to talk to you guys about tonight. Uh, it's from Fremont Brewing with the collaboration with Mickler out of San Diego. And it's their Operator Suave Mexican-style lager. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I... I appreciate a good light American lager or Mexican lager. Uh, if it's done, if it's done well and it has good flavor, I, I can really appreciate it. Now, my wife, on the other hand, she, anything that, that you can see through, she's just like making fun of me. Like, what the hell are you drinking? <laughs> right. She, she's, you know, she shames me for drinking things that are light, but I'll tell you what, this beer was very, very well done and I really enjoyed it. Uh, it, it had, I, I kind of, I think in my description untapped, I kind of mentioned it's corn bready. You know, it has, it has some of that bready malt character, that bread dough maltiness. And it also has some of that corn character that you'd get in a Mexican lager. And it's like a cornbread mixture. And that, that's just how I put it. And I really appreciate it. It was crisp, refreshing. It just tasted really, really good. No off flavors or anything, you know, it was, I mean, really clean. And uh, I really enjoyed this beer. I gave it a four and a quarter rating for a light American Mexican style lager. That's uh, impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I really, I, I, I'll tell you what, I have really come to appreciate the finer, lighter beers in life. Uh, you know, when, when someone can make a, a, a light lager that tastes like super good, hey, I'm all over it. Now, if they can only make it that same lager and 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 have it cost seventy five cents for me to buy a can of it, that's even better. But but I guess I have to pay the the high price for the high quality beer. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely do. Yeah, so that's that's my new and overly beers. How about you, Chris? What kind yeah, of? I had a I had a couple. Um, uh, the the first beer I wanted to talk about, I think we've talked well, not entirely talked about, but I know we've had a few people bring it up. Is from Bell's Brewery. They're double two hearted. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I finally got the chance to have that. Um, we went out a couple, this was a couple of weeks ago, um, to go see a movie out on the lawn kind of thing yeah, at, uh, in, yeah. in downtown Tampa. And um, <clears throat> I got this, uh, and I just remember it just being just f- kind of fruity. 
but way too easy to drink. It wasn't boozy and super sweet. It was just for, I think, a, what, 11% beer? That was way too easy to drink. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, I actually gave it a four and a half cap rating uh, on that beer because it was just so damn easy to drink. I don't know if it was just because there was a ton of people around and a lot of people <laughs> tend to make me drink. Uh, but, you know. Well, I'll stick with the rating. Um, and the one that I had when I was in Atlanta that I really liked from Monday Night Brewing is called Drafty Kilt. And like I said, I actually had that one at Hooters. It was probably the best option uh, for a scotch ale oh, that, they, nice. that they had on draft. And I was so surprised to see something like that at a place like Hooters because yeah. we, Megan and I looked at the beer list and it was like, you know, Bud, Coors, um, you know, shock top, blue moon, yeah, uh, yeah. Corona, yeah, and then and then there was like everything was. They had a local beer list, which was from places like Creature Comforts, but everything was IPA this and yeah. Pale Ale that, and um, I was okay with that. But Megan's not a huge fan of it, and I saw this on there. I was like, you know what, we just got got to give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's the one that stood out, so we gave it gave that a shot, and we were both pleasantly surprised. Um, we both had like a a 24 ounce glass of it. Um, and we were really surprised at just how, how good that was for, for the, um, for the venue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I ended up giving that a four cap rating. Yeah. And then wait, wait, my, and, uh, and it had a great name too. I have to say drafty yeah. kill. Come on. Drafty that's kill. great. Okay. Well, the, and the, uh, and the, I don't know, the can art or the bottle art is, is pretty nice on it. Now this, I had mine on draft, but, um, you can, you can definitely see like it's, um, you know, there's plaid plaid ties, uh, uh-huh. neckties on this can that I'm looking at now. It's simple. It's simple, but it's really really nice looking, and it matches the beer. Simple, but pretty good. Yeah. And the last one I had was from right here in Tampa, Cigar City Brewing. Their Criminal Commission. Uh, now I seem to have one of the El Catador beers from their El Catador Club show mm-hmm. up on my new and noteworthy beer every time we talk about this. <laughs> Um, and this one was pretty cool. I was, I've never seen a beer like this that wasn't super sweet or just, you know, like you said, like with, uh, remember that Russian Imperial stout I sent you from angry chair, you and oh, yeah. you and someone else had to split it cause it was, you know, motor oil. Oh yeah. Uh, but, but this one's pretty cool. It was uh, it's a 13 and a half percent beer. Uh, it was a collaboration with bottle logic brewing and it's, um, on untapped and on the side of the bottle. It also says this, that it was named after the new Orleans criminal commission chairman, Richard Foster, uh, the piquant dessert bananas Foster provides the inspiration for Bottle Logic Brewing and Cigar City's Brewing, City's Brewing's latest liquid villainy. Um, it's a rum barrel aged imperial stout with banana, vanilla, and cinnamon, hmm. and worthy of a four and a half cap rating. <laughs> now the cool part is that when Megan and I were in Atlanta. At that re- one of the restaurants we went to visit, Gumbo's, uh, I was told that I had to go back and get their Bananas Foster. Oh. Um, so that's why we visited a second time. And I don't know if you saw the picture, Denny. I did. Of Yeah, the, the, the picture big, of yeah, this. Yeah, big giant mound of uh, meringue or whatever that stuff was. No, that was mostly vanilla <laughs> ice cream. Ice cream? Oh, yeah. my God. That's a lot there of was, ice cream. There was whipped cream on top of it, but it was mostly <laughs> vanilla ice cream. So much so that... And this was so weird. I've never done this before. 
Uh, they gave us, you know, if you go to like Chinese food restaurants and you get a large soup container, like a 32 ounce quart container mm-hmm. of, to go, we took that full of ice cream to go. Oh my gosh. So you saw that picture. Um, like I said, it was bananas foster. So it's bananas. That's, uh, that's flambéed in rum, brown sugar, cinnamon. Uh, but it was poured over top of like four or five giant scoops of ice cream. Uh, oh, and butter. Yeah, there's butter in that sauce too. <laughs> oh, yum. Uh, yeah, and it's so good. I love Bananas Foster. Guess how much that, that giant freaking dinner bowl of food of ice cream was? The the cost or the calories? The cost. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? You, you, you make it sound like it was expensive. So I'm going to say $18. It was $8.95. Oh, okay. Cheap then. I said $18. Yeah. That's half. It was so, I was, I know. Well, I walked in there and they had two. They had the small. Which was seven ninety five, and then they had the large, which was eight ninety five, and I went. You got to go large. It's a dollar difference. Yeah. We're gonna split it. Okay. <laughs> so this guy walks over and you know drops this freaking mountain on our table, and I looked at him and I was like, "What is this?" He goes, "This is our large bananas Foster." I was like, "Dude, you gotta warn somebody. Did you stretch first before you picked this up?" And then I asked him again. I was like, well, how big is your small? And he goes, well, it's actually not too much bigger than this. <laughs> he goes, honestly, it's not too much difference in size. So, yeah, it was. Uh, okay. It was, I, I, I got to go gigantic. to Gumbo's. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would definitely go back there. The owner of Sit Me Sit in Atlanta recommended it to me. So I was like, hey, you, you lived here, not me. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we went twice. It was freaking awesome. All right. Well, now now I'm just drooling over here. I, I need some I, dessert. I need some I'm more beer, too. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm drooling so much, I need to go get some more beer. Well, we didn't have uh, very much feedback from the last show because we were basically recording only a few days after we released the last one. So that's okay. We're going to go ahead and skip through our listener feedback. But in the future, if you want to contact your, the show with your comments or questions, you can do that easily through email at tapthecraft at gmail.com or on Twitter. Just follow us and reply to us on at, uh, at tapthecraft. And Chris is all over our Facebook page at facebook.com slash tapthecraft. And don't forget, we have a voicemail line. You don't have to sit there and type anything out. All you have to do is call our number at 208-536-3359 or 208-53-ODDLY and just leave your message on our voicemail and we'll just play it and talk about it on our next show so go do that we also want to thank open forum radio network for supporting the show they provide the hosting space at openforumradio.com if you enjoy the content that chris and i are putting out we know you're going to find some other great content from the following shows thank you so much for listening to tap the craft with denny john and chris hey and if you want to check out more great podcasts check out the open forum radio network over at openformradio.com we have such podcasts such as open forum radio proper facetious geeks for the win gamer husbands radio the omg hour gaming vessels slash attainment and conspiracy otter hey thank you so much for checking out tap the craft today and please leave these fellas a review on itunes or wherever you listen to this great show hey thanks again for listening all right, now it's time for the Brew Buzz, and the Brew Buzz is a vote discussing various brilliant topics. And as I already mentioned, this week we are going to discuss the second part of the history of beer. This is uh, the history between 1600 AD and 1850 AD. And uh, again, I'll just recap where I've, I got this information from. I mean, you can find this information all over the Internet, but where I grabbed it from was a nice little... Uh, 
synopsis uh, on a website, a homebrewing site. Uh, it's, the article was called Three Millennia Beer, Three Millennia of Beer Styles in Four Minutes and 32 Seconds. And it was on the website of Knights of the Mashing Fork, which is a homebrewing club out of central Connecticut. I recommend, as I mentioned in the last episode, go check out their website. There's a lot of resources on homebrewing, a lot of a lot of different topics, a lot of things you can you can go there and get help. And uh, I really liked it. I know a lot of homebrewing uh, clubs have websites, but this one is open to the public. I mean, there is a, a form you can go and, and have to sign into, but everything else is free to the public. You can just go and just browse and peruse as you wish without having to, you know, even let them know you're there. Just go and look and like I said, a lot of good information, and this is just one of those articles I found on there that I thought I would like. I want to talk about. I want to teach, uh, you know, our listeners about some of the history of where these brewing styles came from. So I'll go ahead and uh, start us off, and I'm going to start with the Berliner Weiss. Now we've talked about the Berliner Weiss style on uh, one of our our style topics. So in the 1600s, Berlin's wheat beer is documented as a distinct style, and there are said to be 700 Weissbier breweries in Berlin. So in the 1600s is when the Berliner Weiss first started uh, becoming a style. Then after that in Germany was the Rock, the Rausch beer, which is the smoked beer. So the first, gosh, I got to say these German <laughs> words here, the Schlink, Schlinkler Rausch beer, was uh, brewed in 1678 from malt that was smoked over beechwood logs. So there's the old rock rock beer, Rosh beer, rock beer, whatever you say. I don't know. How, I'm not German, so I don't know how to say that. Where's but John when we need him? John. I know. Yeah, I need I need John here. John Reen. Text us in three weeks. Tell yes. us how to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, tell us how to pronounce, how to pronounce this. this. Now, I, I mentioned in the last show that I did, I was able to go to Sockeye Brewing, and I did have a pint of their uh, gold medal winning uh, smoked beer uh, the rockfish the rock the rockfish Rausch Bach or whatever it was I can't remember what it was called but and I'll tell you that was a fantastic smoked beer probably the best smoked beer that I've ever had really well done no wonder it won gold medal at the Great American Beer Festival and what it did is it's kind of re and uh you know invigorated me to go out and try some other smoked beers so i think i need to go and and look and and see when german smoked beers come into the you know into the co-op and grab some of those if they if they do come in and just try some of these german uh, uh you know authentic smoked beers maybe they won't be so smoky as some of the american ones i think american smoked beers you know when they especially early on in the the craft brewing american craft brewing scene uh, they might have gone overboard with that smokedness, right? And I think that now, uh, you know, I think that maybe it might be the right time to go ahead and 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 these breweries are starting to, you know, brew some some lightly smoked just to give you a little, you know, ac accentuate some of the the characters in uh, the malt, you know, the the malt flavors that you're getting in, in like a lager. Like the Bach was perfect; it it, it worked really well with that uh, with that style. All right, and the last one, talk about smoky beers, is the Scotch Ale. A 14th century monastery near Dunbar gives rise to Scotland's Bellhaven Brewery in 1719. The brewery's Scotch Ales have the malty character that typifies the style, prompted by a growing season that is too short for hops. 
which just as a side note that all the hops have to be brought in from England at a high price, but excellent for barley. So the Scotch Ale came about because, you know what? These damn Englishmen, they're charging too much for these hops. So let's just go ahead and brew a malt-heavy beer, and we'll just drink this in, in Scotland. So, hey, cheers to the Scotch that make a great Scotch Ale. I really appreciate that myself. All right, Chris. It's my turn. Yes. <clears throat> All right, so we're going to talk about the Pale Ale. In 1630, the Burton Pale Ale style, clearer and lighter than the traditional English brown ales, is first recorded as on sale in London, but it's too expensive to become widely popular. In 1760, long after porter is established as the drink of the common man, a letter to a London magazine contends that more expensive pale ales were introduced to London by the gentry who became accustomed to them in the country. In 1845, the English tax on glass making is removed just as mass production technology becomes available. Thank goodness. Yeah. Uh, dr drinkers using drinking glasses instead of pewter or ceramic mugs can now see their beer as well as taste it. Yeah. The change gives an enormous boost to the popularity of pale ale. Yeah. Amazing, huh? I mean, before, before glass became the container of of choice nobody could see their beer right I, I don't know if that was a good that might have been a good thing back then right I've, in the last episode yeah. we talked about beers and what they were being made of and the crap that was floating inside there you know what the if i had to look at all that crap that was floating inside the beer i don't think i would want to drink it so having a a solid glass that you can't see through was probably a smart idea back in the day You're probably right <laughs> <laughs> so now we're going to move on to the Belgian wit beer. In the 1700s, a wheat beer called wit beer or beer blanche mm -hmm. is the dominant style east of Brussels in Belgium. Brewers in the city of Louvain and the village of Hogarden. Oh, that's why it's named. Yeah. That, ship competing variants to the rest of Europe. Uh, moving on to the porter in 1722 in London. Publicans. What's a publican? It's a person that visits pubs. Oh, well, that's me. I'm a publican. <laughs> yeah, we're publicans. Publicans have grown weary of blending beers from different casks, either highly hopped, low gravity, cheaper ale from one with lightly hopped, sweet, high gravity, more expensive ale from another to please customers. An inventive brewer, Ralph Harwood of the Bell Brew House, produces a single ale that combines the virtues of both. Initially called Mr. Harwood, Mr. Harwood's entire butt. <laughs> that's with two T's. I wonder if that's true. <laughs> um, Mr. Uh, Harwood's entire, entire butt. butt. I gotta look Harwood. that up. <laughs> I'm currently doing that right now. Entire butt. Um, the new ale is served at a pub called the Blue Last, where it becomes popular with the working classes and is dubbed Porter. In honor of its main customers, the porters who carried goods, including beer, throughout London. Yeah, I I, I did um, back. I think one of the brew buzzes that I'll probably have on the air here in the next uh, few few months. Uh, I talk about the porter style, and it's pretty interesting that uh, you know that this porter was a, a beer that, like I mentioned, the porters that were hauling all the goods on and off the boats, right? They needed a beer that was going to, like, almost like a meal, right? It it was, like, heartier and richer that, that gave them some extra oomph 
to be able to handle, you know, working those long hours and, and just hauling all that stuff off on and off boats. So that's kind of, kind of cool. But uh, I didn't know about the, uh, uh, about the uh, Harwood's entire butt uh, name it's of the real. beer, though. That's, <laughs> that's pretty funny. It's real. <laughs> um, I'm actually looking at a page of an encyclopedia right oh, now. A real, like, a, uh, like a page that someone took a photo I'm, of? I'm, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's uh, off of Google. Uh, but it talks about porter, you know, being the well-known beverage, the common drink of the inhabitants of London. And if you go down, um, it talked about the blending different beers. Yeah, it says the publicans. Um, and so the inconvenience and trouble that this incurred led Mr. Harwood to endeavor to produce a beer which should possess the flavor of the mixed liquors. Uh, in this, he succeeded so well that his new beverage rapidly superseded the mixtures then in use. Uh, at first, the liquor was called entire or entire butt <laughs> on account of being drawn from one cask only, but it afterwards acquired and these are really kind of crappy scannings at first in derision, the now familiar name of Porter. Um, the word entire is still, however, frequently met with on the signboards of taverns about the metropolis. So, yeah, I mean, that's uh, all right. It, it's real. Yeah, it's not fake news. No, not fake. It's real. Mm hmm. All right. Well, let's get into the Irish porter. Now we just we had the English porter. Now we're going to go and the Irish have to have their own say in this thing. So in 1759, Arthur Guinness leases 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 an abandoned brewery in James Gate, Dublin, for a term of nine thousand years at forty-five pounds a year, and begins brewing ale. Now that's a good deal, right? That's a hell of a deal. <laughs> Nine thousand years he's can rent this thing for forty five pounds a year. That's a steal. Uh, yeah. So yeah. that that basically in that term he's only going to pay four hundred and five thousand pounds through nine thousand years. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah yeah. No wonder That's, they yep. make so much money. Yeah. Smart man that Arthur Guinness. Yeah yeah. That that wasn't. Uh, I didn't read that in the uh, Guinness tour I took. I I would have definitely remembered that if I had read that. Uh, it's new new history for me. Mm -hmm. uh, in 1777, he brews his first porter. After 40 years, he stops brewing L and devotes the brewery to making two gravities of porter, one marked with a single X and the other with a double X, or uh, extra, extra strong porter and double extra strong porter. Yeah, pretty cool, huh? Was that in the Guinness tour? No, no, but... Uh, but they, I, th I thought they also called it stout at that point, X and double X stout. But I think it was extra, extra stout. It's extra stout porter and extra, extra stout porter. But they may have mentioned something like that in the tour. Now, you know, it's already been a few months since I did it, so now I'm already starting to forget what I learned because old yeah, you age. Got to go back. Yeah, I got to go back and re and re remember that. So, all right, then we move into Russia. So now we're going to talk about the Russian Imperial Stout. Again, in 1777, no, 1775, <laughs> shipments of ale and porter to the Baltic have become a significant source of income to British brewers. Brewed strong to travel, the most potent porters are popular with the Tsarist court and later become known as Russian Imperial Stouts. The most famous of these will be brewed by Courage, Founded in 1787. 
So, I mean, these English guys said, hey, we can make a lot of money selling our stout over, you know, in, in Russia here. Uh, so let's go ahead and ship it over there and charge them a lot of money for it. I guess it worked out. That's the Russian Imperial Stout. Now we've got the American Porter. Wow, we went all the way from English Porter, Irish Porter, and now it's come all the way to the States. In 1776, Robert Hare and Jay Warren of London emerge in Philadelphia as the new nation's first commercial porter brewers with George Washington as a prominent customer. Way to go, George. Mm-hmm. American Porter diverges from British style from the outset as the unreliability of grain crop harvests forces brewers to rely on adjuncts such as corn, molasses, pumpkins, peas, and squash, in addition to malt. So, wow, these Americans really had to use whatever they whatever they get their hands on in order to brew these beers. I don't care what you have to put in it. Just make me some damn beer. Yeah, make it, make, make it beer. Make it strong. All right. So, moving on to the Doppelbach in 1780 in Munich. The public is allowed to buy Doppelbach beer for the first time. Called Salvatore, it was first brewed by the Pauliners, uh, the followers of St. Francis of Paula, Mm -hmm. who had come to Germany from Italy, as a way to sustain themselves while fasting during Lent and Advent. There you go. So that guy did that uh, uh, in Ohio. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) The rich, dark beer is the first in this style. Yeah. Have you had Salvatore? No. Yeah, they sell it. Yeah, Pauliner still sells it. I I've had it. It's it's strong. It's definitely got a. Uh, I mean, it's it's a it's a pretty powerful. Uh, it's a man's beer. Yeah, it's a man's beer. Yeah, it's a <laughs> Doppelbach. So it's it's like double double Bach. Okay. Um, India Pale Ale or IPA for those of you playing at home. Uh, in 1792, in search of an ale that will ship successfully to India, George Hodson a brewer at the Bow Brewery in East East London, creates a pale ale with a higher alcohol content, higher hopping rates, dry hopping, and extra sugar at priming. (laughs) Wait a minute. Do you think the dry hopping was just that he threw a handful of hops in the top of the barrel just to keep it, like, preserved longer? Is that what dry hopping was? (laughs) Sure. He, uh, yeah, he he smashed up, you know... (laughs) A pound or so of hops dropped in the barrel and sealed it up. Yeah, that's what he did. I, I, mean, I don't know if that's real dry hopping or not. <laughs> Sounds pretty dry hopping to me. Uh, Hodgson's, Hodgson's India Ale survives the voyage to India in style. It is the first India Pale Ale and Hodgson's, Hodgson's family dominates the trade with India for the next 30 years. Damn. Wow. Making some money. All right, one of my favorites, and I know yours, yours too, Denny, the mm. old ale. Yeah. Yeah, in the 1800s in England, the old ale style is well-established, a strong, dark, rich, keeping beer for winter consumption. Yeah. Said to improve with age in the bottle. In 1968, Eldridge Pope brews the first batch of Thomas Hardy's ale in the old ale style to commemorate the 40th anniversary of the author's death. Yeah, I, I like a good old, old ale. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's a style that we don't get over here very often. I mean, some breweries do brew it, but not. It's. I mean, I, I don't think it's a. It's a style that that the masses, you know, swarm to. So I. So breweries have to do like small batches of it, and. But yeah, yeah, I enjoy that. Okay, 
Let's get into the Irish dry stout. So in 1806, Guinness begins brewing a stouter kind of porter for the home market. By 1840, in Ireland and England, Guinness extra superior porter becomes known as double stout. And the West Indies porter brewed with a higher hopping rate for shipment to the tropics as triple stout. Wow, triple stout. That sounds pretty tasty. <laughs> It's probably going to be super thick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And lots of hops. Hoppy stout. Super super thick. Sounds delicious. Yeah, yeah. All right. Then we have the India Pale Ale Part 2. In 1822, anxious to break Hodgins, uh, Hodginson's... Hodgson's... Hodgson's... Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, we're both Hod stuck on this one. Hodgson's. Hodgson's yeah. Monopoly. Allsop produces its first India Pale Ale. Brewmaster Job Goodhead replicates the bottle of Hodgson's IPA using a teapot as a pilot brewery. Wow. A teapot as a brewery. <laughs> That's, a brewery. <laughs> That's a small brewery. The, uh, the new style is introduced to domestic drinkers in 1827 when a ship loaded with Hodgson's, Hodgson's and Alsup <laughs> IPA bound for India is wrecked in the Irish Sea. The cargo is auctioned off to lo and locals first become aware of the India Pale Ale. Its clarity, bitterness, refreshing character sets it apart from the sweet, strong nut brown ales of Burton and the mild ales, porters, and stouts of London and Dublin. And it's an immediate success. So this is when, you know, the English finally get a chance of tasting what an IPA is. And they realize, holy smokes, this IPA stuff is pretty damn good. Look, look at that. I mean, they could have just sold the IPA right there in town. Yeah. All right. Now let's go over to back to Belgium, the Belgian Red Ales. The Rodenbach Brewery in West Flanders is the home of the style. Dark red aged in wood ales with a sweet sour taste that are like nothing else in the world of beer. The brewery dates from 1820 and is at least one brewing vessel. There's still at least one brewing vessel still in use that dates from 1868. So, uh, yeah, Flanders Red Ales. Now, this is a style that uh, is tough to drink. I, I can appreciate a Flanders Red, but I think they're being a, a little bit, uh, I mean, acidic. And, you know, they, they left out a few uh, words there that can really be harsh with some of these red ales, these Flanders Reds. But I do appreciate a good Flanders Red. I just don't want to drink a lot of it, right? So... If I can get a, a third liter bottle and share that third liter with someone, I'll be happy. But if I have to drink a whole third liter, um, I'm probably going to be drinking some lagers afterwards just to soothe my stomach. A little bit harsh. Yeah, Megan likes those. I no, can't do that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a little much. I mean, it, it's it gets to a point where even the your teeth feel like it's like coated with the. Uh, you know, like like the, like it's etch, etching away the enamel on my teeth. I mean, that's not a beer I want to drink, right? No, no, not <laughs> at all. All right, so moving on to the alt beer. In 1838, in Dusseldorf, brew pub owner Matthias Schumacher modifies traditional Rhineland ale by adding more hops, brewing it stronger, and maturing the beer in wood casks. In so doing, he creates the modern alt beer style. Style. A robust, coppery, slow-fermented lagered ale. 
Yeah, I, I, I really enjoy alt beer. I just, mm-hmm. nobody brews it, right? It's, it's a style that literally no one brews. A few breweries here and there will do a, an alt beer. Um, and when they're done well, man, this is such a good, really good beer. So hoping that more, more American brewers will, will start brewing this. Yeah, I've, I've been, and I think you have been too, more into uh, beer flavored beer lately. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, the uh, Munich Dunkel Lager, uh, sweet and sh- short. Uh, in 1840, Gabriel <laughs> Settlemeyer bre- begins brewing a dark, or Dunkel, lager beer in Munich. There you go. Ta-da. Uh, the Vienna style. In 1840, Anton Dreyer begins to brew lager beer in Vienna. Uh, wanting his beer to be bright, he brews a lighter amber red beer that pioneers the Vienna style. I like these. They're short and simple. Yeah. And then the uh, Pilsner Lager. In 1842, a Bavarian monk smuggles a pot of bottom fermenting yeast (laughs) into Pison, Bohemia, where a new brewery financed by the owners of several brew pubs brews the world's first golden lager known today as Pilsner Urquell. There you go. There you go. Right there. It wasn't until 1842 that the Pilsner was established, right? I... For some reason in my mind, I thought the Pilsner style was like around for a long time, but it's not. It's fairly young. It's a fairly young beer style. Dirty smuggling monk. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know that uh, that the Carlsons, you know, Jim Jim Cudsell and, and Tara and, and their daughters were doing a, a world a European beer tour, and they spilt, spent time in uh, Vienna. Uh, no, they spent time... Did they go to, yeah, Austria? No, went to, to Prague. And uh, I don't know. I can't remember all the places they went. But they just got back from their, their trip. And uh, they had some great stuff on their untapped. So if you're not following them and, and seeing all the great beers they tried, you, sh- you should go check, you know, check it out. It was pretty cool. I really enjoyed uh, uh, seeing all their, their stops and the beers and, and getting some information that I didn't know. One day I'll I'll go and do one of those tours myself. Okay, we're almost done with this part two history. I got the last three styles to talk about. Starting off with the Dortmunder export. In the lager era, the city of Dortmund hosts brewers who develop its classic export style, a golden lager fuller than a Pilsner, but drier than a Munich Hellas. All right. Then we have the American lager. In 1842, German brewer John Wagner sails to the United States with lager yeast and shortly after his arrival brews the Continental's first batch of lager in a shanty brewery on the outskirts of Philadelphia. Damn, in a shanty. That's how Budweiser got started, right? In a shanty? Yeah. <laughs> it's a little shanty, shanty brewery in Philadelphia in 1842. All right. And the last beer style we'll talk about is uh, another style we talked about. We had a we had a uh, a style guidelines on this early in the in the podcast time frame time frame. It's steam beer, which is also known as California Common. So in 1848, James Marshall finds gold nuggets on the American River near Sacramento, California, triggering the California Gold Rush. More than 500,000 thirsty prospectors rush west in search of instant wealth and another kind of gold by night. They crave lager. 
but there is no artificial refrigeration available. The solution, ferment with lager yeast in shallow fermenters, which are lacquered wood, that allows heat to escape and fermentation to proceed rapidly. Heavy hopping is necessary as a preservative. Residual sugars fuel an active second fermentation, and when the keg is tapped, a release of carbon dioxide looks like escaping steam. The steam beer style is born. So, wow, that's some great history on the steam beer. Um, yeah. I do I, like that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. All right, so that is the history up to 1850. And in the next episode, we're going to finish off from 1850 to present day styles. So, uh, yeah, that's it. All right, Chris, guess what? We still have time to go ahead and talk about this article. Now, this article, uh, it's called The 15 People You See on Every Brewery Tour. Now, this was first published in February of this year. So it's not a new article. That's why I haven't been too, has like, too, uh, I wasn't, like, this wasn't a timely article we had to, you know, get to right away. So I was able to, you know, push it off for a few episodes. Uh, but this was um, written on thethrills.com by Meredith Hale. Hale. Okay, whatever. And I thought this was a funny, I, I read this uh, link, I think, on on uh, Twitter or somewhere posted it, you know, early in the year. And I thought about putting it in the show and I must have, must have slipped my mind because I never got it in the show. So I thought, you know what, this is a funny little article that I'm sure that anyone who has visited a brewery and who's gone on a brewery tour probably has seen at least one, if not all 15 of these types of people. So I thought it was, it was pretty funny. So, um, as the beer nerds know, the phrase, you've seen one brewery tour, you've seen them all, couldn't be further from the truth. But one thing you can rely on is a brewery tour goers. Their gingers, ages, races might differ, but these 15 thirsty attendees are always, always on board. And while they run the gamut from sweet to insufferable, let's just say that if you recognize yourself on this cast of characters, you're in good company. All right, Chris, start us off. The walking billboard. <laughs> a oh, this might be me. <laughs> it uh, might be all of us. <laughs> a seasoned traveler, this fellow gets his kicks roaming the world in search of the perfect beer, and he's managed to collect more than a few pieces of brewery swag along the way, amassing a growing horde of shirts, hats, hoodies, branded koozies, flip-flops, flannels, carabiners, water bottles, heat caps, sunglasses, jackets, ties, capes, and hand-stitched quilts. Whoa. All worn with unabashed pride every time he visits a new brewery. You do not want to come between this gentleman and the last screen-printed bandana. Trust us. Okay, that's a little bit extreme. That's not me. That's not me either, but completely. But I I I only wear one brewery thing per brewery tour but i'll yeah. wear a different brewery shirt for whatever you know brewery i go to i might wear a different one so yeah i'm not going to wear the brewery shirt to the brewery that i'm visiting no no you got to wear something no, no. else you got to make a statement right you got to make well, a statement I, saying hey i've been to this brewery i i went out uh we were i think we were going to we were going to corporate ladder i think or something like that and i had i was wearing my trek brewing shirt all day mm -hmm. and i i didn't really feel like you know being a halfway adult, so I just put a hat on and realized right before I walked out the door I was wearing my Trek shirt and my Trek hat. Oh, there you went, go. Yeah, I don't know if I'm there. 
You can't wear both. You have to one one or the, wear one or the other. Yeah, yeah. You can't you can't have multi multiple things from the same brewery. You got to have different things. Right. Yeah. All right, Danny. Let's move on to the next one. All right. The frequent flyer. She's crouched over in the corner of the tap room, diligently sipping her way through nineteen four ounce pours as life continues to happen around her. She occasionally removes a pen and a pad from her bag and scribbles down some incoherent tasting notes. With each finished glass, she clicks open untapped and checks the conquered liquid conquered liquid in, typing her review with a level of care and precision usually reserved for brain surgery. As any good bar bar back will tell you, it's best just to leave this one alone. She'll tell you when she's done. Yeah, I, I've been I've been her. Yeah, yeah. I I, I I think I am partly that. Also, my buddy Alex is definitely that. Uh, yeah, we all, you know, it's all about uh, making sure you you log your beers and taste everything you can. You got to have it, it all. I feel like I've missed out if I haven't tried every single beer that a brewery has to offer. So I'm gonna get 19 tasters if I have to. Well, I mean, if I can go into a place and go, you know what, I want to. Light and they go well. You know which which ones do you want? And be like, can I have just one of each? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't care about the price. Yeah, they're two fifty a piece. I don't care. Just give me everything. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but you know you're gonna you're gonna pay three times the price you would have paid if you would just bought you know three beers. Oh, that's okay. Uh, yeah, but you know what? I mean, that's basically what you and I did when we were in Vegas at yeah. uh, Big Dogs. True. I think there was like one or two that we didn't get, but we just said, you know what? Uh, just get one of everything. Yeah, bring it all. Well, we got to try everything that's there if we can. <laughs> yeah. uh, we we were at uh, Mad Beach Brewing last night for dinner uh, after we went to the beach, and it was um, they have they have quite a list, but you can get a flight of everything that they have, and I believe it holds somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty five beers. Oh wow! Yeah, it's a, that's I a lot. Definitely, <laughs> definitely got to share that one. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the life is good guy. <laughs> This can mean one of two things. A middle-aged man, usually on the tall side, with kind eyes and a happy-go-lucky disposition, dressed head-to-toe in life-is-good gear. Distressed cotton t-shirt, bucket caps, socks, sunglasses, the whole nine. Or the jovial, bespectacled stick figure himself (laughs) come to life, bouncing around the taproom in his cartoon Birkenstocks and floppy beret, grabbing pints off tables and constantly cheering, cheersing everyone. Hey, it it could happen. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. This one. Uh, I mean, I don't know. This one run into this guy. Yeah, this one's iffy. Uh, but yeah, I think there is some people that are definitely uh, a little more happy than than normal. But I mean, uh, if you're drunk, I could see that. You're yeah, happy. Yeah, or buzzed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. How about the uh, the life is good guy's dog? <laughs> Oh, Pete. Pete's a good boy. Smells a little, kind of slobbery, but a formidable drinking buddy who knows a good bandana when he sees one. Health inspector be damned, this pup's coming in. And uh, I I thought this was, I mean, I haven't seen this in brewery tours, but I do see it a lot in breweries nowadays where dogs are running rampant. And this led me to you know, uh, to think about it, uh, something you posted on our Facebook page about mm-hmm. a mishap that happened in, 
a South Carolina or North Carolina brewery? I believe it was South Carolina. South Carolina brewery where a patron actually got viciously attacked by a dog that was visiting the brewery. And I don't know if, Chris, did you actually go and visit the GoFundMe page and look at the photos? Um, no. Yeah. Um, this was not a typical, like a, like a simple dog bite. This was a serious, vicious attack on this woman's leg. Oh, really? I think it's a leg. I can't tell, but it took fifty some stitches to stitch that her back part up. I did read. So like thirty inside the wound and like twenty outside the wound, something like that. Some ridiculous amount. Two times she had to go in and get stitched up, and that is unbelievable. And I don't. I would think that if I was that brewery at that point when that happened at my brewery, holy shit! I would have Dude. to put a ban on dogs coming to the brewery because I mean I would think that the brewery would be partially reliable or uh responsible for injuries happening inside there from them allowing you know uh animals inside the brewery but th this is not a simple dog bite this is a vicious no. attack right no cuz that that a bite like that is pr it's probably going to tell you that that dog wasn't very good around people anyway yeah a, a bite like that because I'm, I'm currently looking at the uh at the photos because oh my gosh yeah um normally if a dog bites like out of fear it's a quick bite and go away yeah yeah they're not digging in deep and holding on and ripping yeah, out there's uh, a flap of skin missing and i'm pretty sure that's that's her humorous no no that that's a flap of skin and i think some muscle like damage too, right? I mean, it's just that be an, I believe that to be an arm. Is it an arm? Okay. Uh, the right arm, just above the elbow. Okay. So, um, so this led me to believe. Now, you know, I I've been around dogs all my life. I I actually was as a as a ten year old child. I was walking home from church, and I was attacked. Un, I was attacked by a, a huge German Shepherd. Um. And I didn't, I was just walking on a sidewalk and the dog jumped out of a truck from behind and attacked me from behind. I had no idea what was going on. Uh, luckily, the owner was right there, was able to get the dog off me. I only had a few, you know, a, a few stitches and a few injuries. I wasn't anything like this woman's uh, injuries. And, uh, and I recovered from it, you know, yeah, yeah I was a little bit. Uh, nervous after that, walking by dogs that were big because I was, you know, I, I, you don't never ex know what to expect. I wasn't, you know, causing any harm. There's no reason for that dog to attack me, but it did. Um, and I've outgrown it as I got older and I, and I had, uh, you know, two dogs of my own that, uh, that I loved and, and we took care of. And I don't have a problem with, with dogs, but. Now that you know you and Megan, your 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 livelihood is in training dogs to behave themselves, and uh, I mean, what do you what do you think about having dog? I mean, what do you know about in your in your professional career? Is this something that is? I mean, it's a liability, right? Having dogs that that you don't have control of that are coming into your establishment, and whatever harm they do. Uh, you know, again, could be can be uh, placed on the brewery because they let the dogs in. Um, what 
what do you think? Is this dog, obviously this dog has some problems, and I, I'm guessing that the dog must have been put down after this. You can't attack someone like that without being put down. But what do you yeah, think? What's your opinion? And, and it's I, it's tough because there are people that we deal with on a regular basis that don't know don't know that it's not okay for example to just run up and grab a dog by the face true yes okay. yes yeah so this i mean we kind of see just in this gofundme and this this post that we put up um <clears throat> is just the outcome the the aftermath like you can't really tell what was going on 100% but you know uh, i have people who walk up to my dog Cajun and Cajun is a, an 85 pound Belgian Malinois shepherd. He's my, he's the best dog I've ever had. I mean, I work with him every day. He, he's what we call our demo dog. He is what I show off to our new clients. Um, <clears throat> but a Belgian Malinois shepherd, if anybody's familiar with that breed name was the breed of dog that was just in the news for, for chasing down that ISIS leader into the cave before he blew himself up. Mm. Okay. So most dogs that you would see, as that type of breed, uh, you don't reach for their face. Or you're going to lose a finger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So in my professional opinion, I mean, it's, it's tough to say because you never know. I, I always tell our clients, I'm like, look, your dog probably doesn't bite, but they all have teeth. Yeah. Yeah. And when, if provoked hard enough, um, they will do what it takes to protect themselves. Yeah. <clears throat> but I mean, it's, it's tough to say. I mean, you, you don't know the circumstances around it. Um, and I'm not trying to pick one way or the other, but it's just, it's tough, man. It's that dog could have been completely unprovoked and, you know, this lady maybe bumped into the dog and maybe the dog laid into her, but the severity of that bite pretty much tells me that that, that was not a fearful bite. That was a grab a hold and hold on kind of yeah, bite. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that, that's, mm, that was, uh some pretty graphic photos of that the, yeah. the inside of that lady's arm. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. It said graphic photos below. I mm -hmm. clicked the link. I'm like, they weren't kidding. Those are, those are some yeah. graphic uh, photos for sure. I, I, I just think that, uh, I think breweries, I, I understand that they want to be open to, you know, families and, you know, dogs and, and be dog friendly and all that stuff. But man, there's gotta be a, a, a point where, where if, uh, and I don't know how to, I don't know how to make it right. You, the first time that uh, that a dog gets growly or whatever, you ask that patron to leave and take take the dog out, or I don't, I don't know what the the point is where where you say you have to draw a line and say, okay, hey, you know, we're okay with you having your animals here, but as soon as this happens, you got to get that animal out of here because we don't want to take yeah. any risk, right? There's got to be some some way of doing that. And I, that's a hard one to. To do, I think the answer is just don't allow the animals inside your your premises. And if you want to have them outside in the patio, maybe you know. But that still is a risk, right? I just I, I don't know. It's yeah, and I don't I don't know specifically how that would translate um, <clears throat> as far as like the owner of the brewery. Um, just trying to kind of speak through or run through quickly of some, some internet searches, but, um, you know, normally it's going to be on the responsibility of the owner. 
Yeah. But yeah. It's the but, owner, but also I think responsibility lies on the business owner in the fact that they're supposed to have a safe, you know, a safe environment for their consumers and sure. having a, a vicious dog in there that attacks them is not a safe environment. Yeah. And and that, that's kind of tough too, because um, I know one of the things that we've been running into around here in Florida is actually about having dogs of, allowed to come into breweries because technically uh, beer is a product that you consume. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's semi Health. being considered food. Yeah, it's a food and, product. Health concerns. Yeah, and you know a lot of a lot of breweries. I th- well, not a lot, but a couple of breweries have been tagged on that. Um, but uh, some other breweries are like, no, dogs are in here all the time. Um, I don't know. So I mean, some dogs are just weird. Some dogs. I I've had um, dogs personally that well, not my own, but clients' dogs who are the greatest dogs ever and just the wrong person will come into its space and you see its hair stand up on the back of its neck. It starts showing teeth and you're mm-hmm. like, Whoa, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. And you know, I'll, I'll text the owner about it and be like, Hey, have you ever seen your dog? Like get upset about it? No. Or get upset around a person. No, I've never had that happen. Like something was off with this dude. Yeah. Um, serial killer. Yeah. And, and well, no, it, it was, we had, um, we had a couple of guys in our building doing some work for us. And honestly, they, they looked a little shifty, you know, at, they just, they weren't clean cut. You know, you could tell that they were hardworking guys, but they weren't like, uh, the most well put together guys for the job that they were doing. And, uh, a dog that is great with everybody I've ever had it around, looked at these two guys backed up and put its head down and, like I said, his hair stood up on the back all the way down its back. And I was like, Whoa, what is going on here? So you never know, man. There's a, there's a ton of different variables that would go into that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We, we had a yellow lab, uh, you know, we had her for 15, 16 years. She never showed any aggression to any person, child, uh, other animals she wouldn't chase deer we you know we'd have her out camping she'd see a deer she'd raise her head she'd just let it go by she didn't care about anything but we had one person come into the house that was going to fix our carpet and she would not let that person she was growling and i mean obviously this person she sensed evil in this person and uh, I've never seen a dog. I mean, she never had that in, that in anything else. Just one person set her off. And I think the dogs have a have an instinct, and they know when when you know, when there's bad people coming her in because. Oh, I very much believe that. Yeah. Do. So it's uh, uh, I mean, we. I mean, as soon as I saw that, I knew that that person was not good because the dog has never ever shown any any uh, aggression to anything, not even to cats or anything right never i mean no aggression at all and this guy was bad so all right i didn't mean to drag that on i was just i thought that it was an it's an interesting topic there's a lot of people that are one side or the other about you know honestly i'm okay with keeping the dogs out of the brewery right i don't want dogs in the restaurants you know what i don't even want dogs in my grocery store when i'm going grocery shopping it upsets me when i see all these people bringing their little pissy ass Mm -hmm. uh, you know lap dogs in there pissing all over the place 
when I'm trying to do grocery shopping. I, I don't want that. Leave those damn dogs at home. Come yeah. do your shopping. Let's just get this thing over with. So you're gonna uh, you're gonna send me on this uh, whole tirade <laughs> of fake service dogs that yeah. we we play a game every time we go to the airport. Fake real fake or real service <laughs> yeah. dog. And if you ever want to know the best way to find out, walk up to that person and ask if you can pet their dog. Now that's only if it's a service dog. If it's an emotional support dog, it's a different story. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. If they let you pet your pet their service dog. <laughs> all right Anywho, yeah let's talk next? about the unappreciated scholar uh like the walking billboard billboard this brewery fixture has also seen their fair share of fermentation tanks the only difference they never let their new belgium golf shirt speak for itself nope they're firing off questions they clearly <laughs> know the answer to left and right <laughs> sidetracking the guide and wreaking havoc on everyone else's learning experience a lone wolf uh, among a sea of couples, families, and friend groups. This person is also known to make the rounds during the tasting portion, making sure to tell everyone about their new beer podcast. <laughs> Oops. Consider yourself warned. <laughs> That's not me. No, I wait till we get to the end and hand everyone my card. <laughs> yeah, I, I have seen this guy before. Um uh, but no, it's not. I, I have not done that. I don't. I actually don't tell anyone about the podcast unless they start talking and ask, and then I'll say, "Well, you know what? I do have a podcast." But I have let it slip, but not during a beer tour, and I don't ever disrupt the uh, the tour myself. But yeah, I've seen that happen before. Where they just want to be people, just want to you know be recognized, right? They want that uh, acknowledgement that they uh, that they're special. All right, let's get into the college sports fan. Macro Brews, with their billion-dollar sponsorships, Super Bowl commercials, and near monopoly on stadium taps, are undoubtedly the go-to brews for pro leagues. But NCAA sports? That's craft bread and butter. Think about it. Teams are scrappier. Underdogs are celebrated. Players are driven by an undying love for the game. And while only a few people on the court make any money, they all have big, big dreams. That's why there's always at least one rabid college sports fan on every tour. Donning a violently red Wisconsin crew neck and constantly refreshing the bracelet app on their buddy, the Badger clad phone. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think this is as big as a issue as it was back in the day of the, uh, the you know, back in the 90s. It was might have been bigger, but I don't see as much of the uh, college sports fan thing the, these no. days. I don't either. This one, though, the Saturday afternoon parents. <laughs> I see these guys a lot. Yeah. So the Saturday afternoon parent, they're three pints deep into double IPA territory. And the last time that they saw little Georgina, she was scooting past the bottling line, clutching a damp handful of Cheerios and what appeared to be an old dog bone. <laughs> <laughs> the only way you can actually identify them as parents is by the enormous stroller or AKA the growler caddy <laughs> that they've shoved under the bar next to them. Hey, good for them making use of that, uh, that stroller. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Georgina, just walk next to the stroller. I don't care if your feet are tired. Yeah. The, I, I have seen quite a few of this type of, uh, of parent, right? That they, they come and have beers and let their kids go and, and they're bugging the other patrons and bugging me. I don't want to be bugged. I want to 
have a beer, enjoy my conversation with my friends and my wife or whatever. And, and, uh, they might be cute the first time they come over and they're, and they're being, uh, you know, a kid, but mm. after the second or third time, it gets annoying and the parents need to, to reel them in and, uh, and understand that, Hey, we don't want to be their, uh, their babysitter. Okay, someone from Colorado. <laughs> of course, everyone from Colorado is a big beer geek, right? How do you know they're from Colorado? Because 10 times out of 10, they're proudly displaying the state flag on their T-shirt, <laughs> their ball cap, their keychain, their dog leash, koozie, socks, skin, Honda element for all to see. That simple red, yellow, blue, and white combo says it all. You're rugged. You're chill. You can probably build a fire in a blizzard. You can definitely fire up a doobie legally. <laughs> You've got some America's best breweries right in your mountainous backyard, and you love rubbing it in. Thanks, pal. Yep, seen it. I saw it. I saw it in Atlanta. Yeah. All right, the cyclist. No one knows when they started coming or why they started coming. But somehow, over the course of the last few decades, craft beer became seriously and inextricably linked with people who get great joy from pedaling their little hearts out over very long distances while wearing extremely <laughs> tight and blindingly shiny spandex suits. Strange, but oh, so true. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I see that all the time, too. They, and they come clopping in with their damn biking mm -hmm. shoes that don't even, they can't even really walk in them. I'm like, take those damn things off. You're going to slip and hurt yourself. We can only hope. Yeah. All right. How about the hustler? He might not come around for just any old brewery tour, but the second a coveted craft outpost announces an exclusive release, he'll be there faster than you can say one case each. He's first in line, beaming as he, package, as he packages up his shiny aluminum bounty, checked, checked, and double-checked to make sure every pull tab was in place, every label affixed, and ever born on date stamped. Then he trolls the line, attempting to talk honest, law-abiding folk into selling him their extra cans like some sort of beer-crazed fiend. And you better believe that those lovingly brewed IPAs will be up on his Instagram in no time, destined for some poor sap willing to pay 10 times the market value for 16 ounces of sweet haze or shame. No, I don't know. <laughs> you might see that more at the uh, in the Tampa area. Uh, we don't have these, uh, you know, these, these, these type of folks here in Boise because we don't have these bo these beers that everyone wants to drink outside of Boise. Yeah, I, I'll admit I've I've been that guy a few times. <laughs> Look, it's supply and demand. I can't help it. Yeah. All right. So next is the. What do you have that's like er? Mm -hmm. uh, there's always one maybe it's your mom along for the ride maybe it's your brother-in-law who keeps anxiously looking around for the taco truck you promised hey maybe it's you but unless you're at a giant nationally distributed brands plant asking the taproom server what tastes like a giant nationally distributed brands beer is like wearing a sign around your neck that simply says that guy you're there to try something new Something you've literally seen being made by two passionate hands. <laughs> Appreciate, bro. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've seen this a lot. You know, I mean, I, I think not every brewery tour I go on to, but I've seen probably 
a third of the brewery tours I've gone on at the end, they say, well, what tastes more like whatever? And yeah, oh, well, they're, they're new. They eventually will work out of that, hopefully. They won't, they won't stay. They'll, next time they'll say, what is more like, you know, a uh, mere pond pale ale, right? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be better to say that than, you know, Budweiser, Coors Light, whatever. All right, how about the designated martyr? Look, we get it. Lots of fantastic production breweries are tucked away in weird little office parks on the outskirts of towns, miles away from residual or residential areas and completely devoid of public transportation. And while we completely and wholeheartedly commend this person's valiant willingness to forego the taster of 14% milk, chocolate, chip, coffee, habanero, stout in the name of safety, we are immensely sick of hearing about their sacrifice. The constant key jingling, the toe tapping, the droopy-eyed expression falling somewhere between indignation and malaise. For this thirsty buzzkill, no public display of satisfaction is too passive-aggressive. Next time, take an Uber. That's literally what they're there for. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, don't bring a designated driver to your uh, beer tour. That's not good. I don't know. I've had some pretty good designated drivers. <laughs> All right. Uh, the freeloader. This fellow seems normal at first, if not a little eager. Then all of a sudden you realize he's hoarding samples like it's afternoon rush hour at Costco. <laughs> Draining one fresh pour after another faster than he can even taste it as tiny tasting cups pile up at his feet. Now he's walking around, picking up fistfuls of pretzels wherever he can find them. His pockets swollen with stolen coasters. No sample left behind. That's this guy's motto. Remember when the brewer passed around that jar of raw melted, raw raw malted barley for everyone to smell? Yeah, he ate that. (laughs) Said it tasted like grape nuts. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't seen this guy. No, I, I, I mean, I've seen people pick up coasters before. Oh, yeah. Nothing nothing that excessive. No, yeah, I've seen coasters, and yeah, people enjoy their tasters, but man, this, that's extreme. I haven't seen that extreme. Okay, how about the Grambassador? Don't you dare think about picking up your pint before this verified influencer nails her painstakingly curated aerial bar shot. I mean, it took her a full 10 minutes just to set up her portable lighting kit. Those damn taproom overheads never cut it. At least you can do is hold off to help her achieve her aesthetic dreams. Would a warm, headless pilsner really kill you? Don't forget to keep an eye out for this one in the barrel aging room. The second the cellar master whips out a wine thief, whips out a wine thief, pops the bunghold <laughs> and starts bunghold. in for <laughs> In for a pull of French oak rested Flanders red. She's all elbows trying to get that action shot. Brace yourself. Wow. I don't know if I've that's, seen this either. That's excessive. Yeah, that's that's really excessive. I mean, everyone likes to take a photo here and there, but I haven't seen anyone that, that crazy. Yeah, I mean, I take a few photos, but I've never never seen them setting up any uh, portable lighting yeah, kits. Yeah, but, <laughs> but you know what, Chris? Uh, for the last one on our list, I've definitely seen this a number of times. All right. So the bachelor or bachelorette and company, whether the lucky bride or groom to be is down is donning a crown, a fake satin sash or a custom T-shirt emblazoned with weddings near buy me a beer. This rabble rouser is one of the room's more readily identifiable specimens. 
They're surrounded by a mostly enthusiastic crowd, save the odd elderly relative that isn't exactly sure what this whole craft beer thing is or all about, but could definitely go for a vodka soda if you had it. (laughs) Rest assured, this wily group never stays too long. They've got to keep crawling, after all. But during their tenure, you will undoubtedly witness a few requisite events. A chugging contest. Multiple requests for more water. (laughs) At least one round of beer shots, a.k.a. a regular two-ounce taster slam like tequila to a chorus of chanting and table pounding. And, if it's early enough in the evening, a hushed, nervous debate over whether the person of the hour was actually serious when they said they would rather die then set foot in a strip club if they secretly kind of want to go, but feel awkward admitting it. (laughs) I mean, some of these are a little extreme, but I've seen a number of, uh, you know, like a, you know, they're doing a a bachelorette uh, tour thing where they go from brewery to brewery and they're drinking and they're being, you know, having fun. Uh, And they're definitely, as they get from one brewery to the next, uh, it's just getting more and more louder. Uh, but yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, they also might be accompanied by what we like to call woo girls. Woo. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We actually saw a group of them walk into uh, Mad Beach Brewing last night. You just tell. They, they were woo girls. Yeah. Yeah. So that those are some uh, classic people you'll find on your brewery tour. So next time you're on a brewery, take out your pad and paper write down uh, which ones of these uh, different groups that you see on your tour, because you'll see probably a third of them, I'm guessing. Yeah, but now you're going to be looking for them. Yeah, yeah. All right, Chris, guess what? Uh, we're, we're, reaching the, hour to go? we're reaching almost a two-hour point, so it's time to okay. close, it, close it down. <laughs> but before we All close right. it down, it's time to raise that glass one last time. So who would you like to raise a glass to tonight? I would love a raise. I would. I would love a raise. First off, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would love to raise a glass to Tom Byrne. Uh, I got home yesterday, and there was a wonderful, wonderful box sitting on my kitchen table, addressed to me from Tom Byrne, full of beer. Oh wow! Um, so not only during our conversation when when he was on the show with us did we talk about uh, I wish there was more Firestone Walker in my cooler. He sent me some of those, which was awesome. Mm. But what was even better is Tom actually sent me some homebrew. Yeah. Yeah. So we got, um, and forgive me, Tom, I don't remember the names of them. Uh, the uh, the Saison that is uh, sometimes a little uh, fizzy. It's currently sitting in the fridge, and I will gladly try it. Oh. But Megan is probably going to drink it. No, no, no. You'll love it. It is, it is fantastic. Don't, okay. Don't, you have to drink at least half of it. At least half of yeah. it. Yeah. Why? It's really good because it's so okay. good. You don't want to miss <laughs> okay. out on this. Don't don't let Megan enjoy it all. She's going to love it. I tell you, she's love it. She'll love it. Okay. Well, and and that's the thing. I'm always going to taste it. I'm never not going to. So, well, now I'm ex- even more excited to uh, to try it out. I, I gave it a five-cap rating. And, you oh. know, I don't give five-cap ratings to just because they're a friend. I mean, this beer rocked my boots. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Make sure you clean your boots off. <laughs> All right. And then he also sent me a bottle of, uh, I believe it was called Cake Faced. Yeah. And uh, peanut butter milk um, stout. Yep. I'm looking forward to trying that one as well. And I'm not sharing that one. 
Yeah, it's good. Well, I guess I, I will probably have to share it because if I don't, I'll get in trouble. <laughs> but Tom, thank you very much, man. I appreciate the, uh, the, the amazing, amazing box of beer that you sent out to me and cheers to you, sir. Uh, what about you, Denny? Anybody would you, lo- you would like to raise a glass to? Yeah, I just want to raise my glass to all the veterans and active military service men and women out there. I, I, I raise my glass to them every, every show, but uh, today's uh, day we celebrate veterans. So I just want to raise a double raise, double cheers to, to all the veterans out there. Thank you for your service. Uh, it really means a lot. I know the sacrifice, and I just want everyone that's out there away from home uh, to come home safely to their families. That's, that's all I ask for. And uh, Chris, why don't you go ahead and raise a glass to our sponsors? Okay. Uh, I'd love to raise a glass to B Cups, the supplier of outdoor craft beer cups, for partnering up with us. And I encourage our listeners to go visit their site at bcups.net. That's B-C-U-P-S dot net. Or you can check out the other things that they have going on at fermentedreality.com. You can check out the world's first full line of style-specific plastic beer cups for people on the go. Whether hanging out on the beach, which I did yesterday, mm-hmm. by the pool, hiking the wilderness, or even enjoying some time on the boat, Bee Cups are great for any place you can't use standard glassware. And then you can also go visit our friends at Tavor. You can use the promo code TAPTHECRAFT, which is all one word, and they'll give any new user a $10 credit after they spend $25. All right. And you can find the beers and the links to the articles mentioned on the show in the show notes located on the show post at openforumradio.com. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, I can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and untapped at Loose Grew. And Chris, how can our listeners follow you? So you can find me on Twitter at Chris underscore McKenzie 82 or untapped and Instagram at MCK 1345. Or of course, you can always interact with us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash tap the craft. All right. We are definitely slurring our words. So we had a great time tonight. Uh, It is last call because we can't have any more. And uh, we'd like to bring the show to a close. We want to thank you for downloading and listening to the show. We ask you to please tell a friend and, of course, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn, Google Play, and, of course, now on Spotify or however you listen to your podcast. As a reminder, we release a new show every two weeks. Now go out there and spread the good word of craft beer. Cheers. Cheers.